Welcome back to the final tackle, and we're actually doing a new segment. This is going to be a weekly segment featuring myself, Ango, and guests every now and then. It's going to be called the Final Tackle Talks. Uh, cheers, Ango, for joining us. G'day, CJ. Lovely to be here. It's a beautiful day for talking about footy. Yeah, mate. I, honestly, any day's a good day to talk about footy. Um, Hell yeah. So, so let's get started. Uh, the 2019 season in review. Um, what were the teams that stood out for you this season? And what were the teams that you think didn't live up to the hype of this season? Well, definitely the standouts have got to be the quiet achievers, the Raiders who made it mm-hmm. all the way to the grand final. 100%. No one really touted them too highly all year yep. um, to make it that far. And I mean, some news outlets even treated it as a surprise that they made it to the oh, grand final. Was no surprise. I know you backed them right from the start, which is a very good call. Um, and they just had an awesome year, the Raiders. And I, I'm devo. They didn't. They didn't go all. The, I, mean, I mean, they went all the way to the I grand mean, I, final. I will say but... at the very f- at the very beginning, like the first round, I was like, nah, the Raiders are going to stagnate like they usually do. You know, bottom of the top eight. You know, maybe between eighth and twelfth. But then at around round eight or nine, I was like, nah, put your books in. They're going to make the grand final, and they did. Yeah, absolutely. They were they were by far, I would say, the quiet achievers of this year. hundred percent. And then. There's two other teams I would say that would be definitely the most improved, which is Parramatta and Manly. Well, you can't really get finished... any worse than getting the bottom of the ladder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they finished last and second last. Yep. Yeah, last and second last last year, and uh, uh, they finished fifth and sixth Do you this think we year can and... expect the same from the Titans and the Dragons next year, finishing fifth and sixth? <laughs> Well, I don't think I don't, so, but... honestly, I wouldn't rate them too highly going into 2020. Yeah. Dragons maybe, but Titans are definitely in that kind of, reckon... sort of rebuilding period. Agreed. I reckon if we're, if the Dragons are going to do well, they won't do too well. They'll maybe get between 7th and 11th next year. That's my prediction. Um, yeah, I would I would probably say predict the Dragons could bounce back a little bit. But like the Knights after their wooden spoon periods, they might finish maybe... About, yeah, upper bottom of the ladder, so around 9th, 10th or 11th, just missing out on the finals, I'd say. However, I have been wrong before, and I definitely would not be surprised if the Dragons claim the spoon next year either. Yeah, I mean, they'd probably be a strong contender as well as the Titans as well, like this year. And uh, I don't think the yeah, Titans it's will gonna be get the spoon. I think they'll, this will be the, you know, once scared, twice, you know, they're not going to go again. You know, up, they'll they'll definitely be in the bottom eight, I reckon, but they definitely won't be... That they'll they will for sure not allow themselves to get to that point again. That'll be the driving factor. Well, well like they say, it's it's only up from here for the Titans, and they only won four matches this year. Yep. And uh, um, yeah, they, they just had a disastrous season. I think they lost their last ten or eleven in a row. Yep. And, and um, I mean, with Justin Holbrook coming back, coming to the helm from St Helens, who won two years in a row this year and last year Grand Finals, um, and also mm. Challenge Cups, you know. Fun fact, he coached St. Helens to more wins. Uh, sorry, it's a more loss. It, sorry, long, sorry. St. Helens won. Sorry, lost, lost less games than the Titans won this year. And I think that that's that an speaks incredible vol- stat. I think that speaks volumes about himself as a coach. And I think he'll go far with the Titans. I don't think he'll get them to the top eight next year, but I've, I reckon two years after. 
Yeah, well, I can I can definitely see the uh, headlines already if um, this turns out to be a masterstroke. I mean, signing probably the best coach in England to bring him over to Australia mm-hmm. um, to the worst performing club in our comp. And it'll be interesting to see if Justin can turn the Titans around from being bottom of the ladder dwellers to being uh, possible contenders in the next couple of years. I mean, I reckon if he can't, though, then the Titans literally, you can say bye-bye to them in the next three years if they don't perform. 100% they will be defunded yeah. by 2025 if they don't get their act up. Oh, yeah, especially with all the relocation and expansion talk that's been going on lately. Oh, this could, this form slump could not be timed worse for the Titans, unfortunately. Yeah, mate, and speaking of, of... Um, expansion and um, all that, I don't think expansion is the right um, path for the NRL because it's been tried and tested to have a team in Perth with the Western Reds. It's been tried and tested to have Adelaide, an Adelaide team. It's not mm. worked. They're two AFL-dominant states. It's not going to fucking happen yeah. anytime soon. The NRL 9s being in Perth, in my opinion, is a very big mistake. It's not going to draw a big mm. crowd of NRL fans in the slightest. They'd, they'd be better off having it at, a, at Bank West, or even down in Victoria, they'd still have a better chance in taking it over to Perth. Um so I, I believe expansion is the wrong move for the NRL and will definitely be the wrong move for the next decade if they do expand. My opinion and thoughts are one of the next one of the few possibilities that I'm about to mention to save um, that. Now, first of all, the ideas that I have have been backed by former players that I've spoken to. Um, they like or to some extent of, of this idea. So the first, it, it all sort of ties in, all the ideas that I have all sort of tie in with the same sort of thing of no expansion, but create a tiered system um, like the Super League in the sense of have tier one being um, the NRL first grade and then have a second tier being reserve grade, but eight teams of the Canterbury Cup and eight teams of the Intrust Super Cup playing a 24 uh, round season alongside the NRL. And at the end of the you know final series, the bottom team of the NRL gets relegated down to the second tier. The top, the grand final winning team and the second tier team, sorry, and the second position team, make makes it into the NRL the following year, making it a relegation promotion system. That way, not only do the teams get a chance to play on TV and whatnot more so than just the Canterbury Cup, they also get a ch- fans also get a chance to see their North Sydney Bears. They get a chance to see their their beloved Western Suburbs Magpies or the Wynnum Manly Seagulls, Balmain, Newtown. Balmain, Newtown, and they get TV time. It gets sixteen games a weekend instead of the regular eight. And I don't see anything but a win-win scenario here for the NRL. They'll get bums and seats that they want. Um, they could even make it a double feature on, on a weekend, you know, um, and I just don't see a fail. However, I don't think it, that should be the what they should do first. I feel like they should introduce a Challenge Cup um, sort of system, like the FA Cup or even like the Super League do with the Challenge Cup, making it run alongside the NRL um, home and away season. For, uh, in, you know how the, the games start on Thursday? Sorry, that's just my timer. The game, you know how the games start on Thursday, finish on Sunday? I reckon have Tuesday being the Challenge Cup day and it's a knockout competition like the FA Cup or the Super League's Challenge Cup where that way it gives a chance for the Intrust Super Cup teams, the Canterbury Cup teams to play against, you know, the Broncos, the Bulldogs, the Tigers, the Titans, the Roosters and obviously making it an elimination competition and that way it implements it slowly 
team fans get to see their teams, such as you said, Balmain, Newtown, um, North Sydney Bears, get a taster, you know, get the get the fans keen, to, you know, to see their teams on the TV again, make it a, a, you know, a concurrent thing for the next two or three years. And then in two to three years' time, wham, you've got, you've got a massive idea on your hands and then run with it and make it a two-tier system. What are your thoughts on that? Mm. Well, that sounds like an absolutely ideal plan. Like, it's all about um, all the English sporting leagues have something pretty similar to that. Like you said, the Super League and then the Championship, which is the second tier of that. Mm-hmm. And then well, um, in there as well, just so you know. Yeah, our Championship One is it called? I think or so. Championship or Two. It's something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's something. It's, I remember um, in the rugby league live video games, they've got the <laughs> yep. they got the championship, and yeah. I think yeah, the the third tier is championship one or something weird yeah, like well, that. Yeah, well, I mean, I just I don't see a flaw in the system because the the most common denominator when it comes to expansion talks, you know, and they get arised and whatnot, or they arise in the media. All I hear is fans wanting to see their old clubs reinstated. They don't want to see a mm. new club in WA. They don't want to see a new club in Adelaide or a, or a thir- or a second Brisbane side. They want to see their old clubs. They want to see Newtown. They want to see the Illawarra Steelers. They want to see the North Sydney Bears back in the comp. And I feel like if they do this Challenge Cup idea or something similar, you know, um, brand it the, their own way but make it the same sort of system and for a few years but keep it on you know keep it going for however long it goes for but and then in two to three years time once the fans have gotten used to seeing their beloved western suburbs magpies etc playing then implement uh, um, a secondary um, you know championship like a um, you know you could call it instead of the interest super cup or um, you know canterbury cup because it'd be eight teams from each state um, that way you could also do make a secondary state of origin as well um, mm. sort, sort of thing it had just I just don't well they could see... like take the they could take the New South Wales and Queensland residents and make that into a more bigger deal exactly you know it's just I don't see and I do not see a flaw in this but if they've got to do it progressively they can't whammo whack in a new league you know next season they've got to progressively do it so that's why I think do the challenge cup idea for a few years people will get used to seeing, you know, North Sydney Bears in the news um, on the NRL website, this, that, the other. And then in a few years' time, the NRL makes a big announcement. Boom, we're going to have a um, secondary-tiered system with the with the competition, you know, relegation promotion, this, that, the other. I, again, I just don't think it, there's any flaw in that idea. But, sorry, I've been talking too much about it. You talk your thoughts on that. Honestly, same. I couldn't agree more with you there, CJ. I mean, uh, all the old guard, all all the uh, like old fans that have been around supporting the NRL and the ARL for decades, all talk about how much they miss seeing Balmain and North Sydney and Newtown. Like my pop, for example, to the day he died, he always wore his Newtown Jets shirt yep. around yep. the place, and um, well, I met, so I met it, it would Andrew, be great for them. I met Andrew Voss at Legends of League, and he was wearing a Newtown Jets hat, sort of thing. Yeah, I remember seeing the uh, selfie you took yeah, with him, and you know he was wearing. Yeah, that's that's just great representation. Like it's amazing, you know. Um, also, to the listeners out out there who are listening to the episode, let me know what your thoughts are on on my idea or me and Ango's idea of um, that in lieu of expansion, um, and what your thoughts are. If you agree with it, or if you think it should be somewhat different, or if you're all for expansion, let us know in the comments. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, expansion is a terrible idea because in in the way you think about Australia and how sport is in expansion times, except for the Titans, and now they're on fucking thin ice. 
they're on thin ice exactly and yeah the way you think about it if you see the geography of australia you notice something quite interesting that the northeastern kind of side of australia is all rugby league focused and then the southern part and the western part of australia are all really into aussie rules so if you venture into that really predominantly aussie rules territory like adelaide and perth who have i mean perth have three like the western australia have three teams don't they Fremantle, Fremantle and West. Um, West. Oh yeah, sorry. And Adelaide has two teams: the Crows and Port Adelaide. Sorry, I was thinking of Port. Yeah. And so, um, if you bring NRL into that equation, it's going to take a long time for those AFL fans to even slightly convert to supporting a new rugby league club in an entirely different code of football. I like to call myself a rare breed which I love both of those sports equally. NRL and AFL, I will not say a bad word about both. I guess you could say that's just because I love sport. But also, like because in NRL, in New South Wales or Queensland, it's blasphemy to talk AFL. Just how it's blasphemy to talk NRL down in Victoria, you know. Um, but mm. I'll straight up say, you know, um, I do love the AFL. I do follow a team, etc. But just the yeah, same well, with the I'm- NRL. Yeah, exactly. And I went to Melbourne earlier this year for the Formula One Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. And I saw all over the highways and on the side of buildings advertisements for all the AFL teams and Mm -hmm. the AFL season. I didn't see one thing about the Melbourne Storm the whole weekend I was down there. No, you won't. And we, yeah, we. We, we travelled, like, around Albert Park. We went like, to St Kilda. We went up to... Bro, um, Melbourne, Melbourne Storm's feeder clubs are in the Interest Super Cup in Queensland. If that doesn't speak volumes that NRL doesn't belong in Victoria or any or any AFL-dominated state, I don't know what does. Yeah, the Sunshine Coast Falcons mm-hmm. are the feeder club for, for the Storm and yep. I think the East Tigers as well. Yes. So, um they're they're up in Queensland, which is like two thousand kilometers away from Melbourne, yes. which is just insane. Like you couldn't imagine um, an AFL club in Melbourne using like a Brisbane local side to grab their feeder players, unless it's like a player that's been scouted to be like the next Buddy Franklin or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just unheard of because, yeah, the diff- the distance is insane and it would be too taxing to bring anyone uh, from Queensland down to Melbourne and back in between, you know, training and spending time with the family and playing for their, you know, junior club and all that jazz. So, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, it's interesting that they do it in the NRL because yeah. there's no one in Melbourne who wants to play NRL. They're the, all the about only, AFL. The only Melbourne player that's actually born in Melbourne and has ever played for Melbourne Storm, as in born in Melbourne and then played Melbourne for Melbourne Storm, was Mahe Fenua. Um, mm. Anyway, um, talking about changes and ideas and stuff, because we just spoke about expansion and our ideas. Um, let's talk about rules and rule changes that are coming into next year and our thoughts on that. So, first of all, what are your thoughts on the new rules being implemented, such as the 2040, you know, the captain's challenge, etc.? Yeah, well, the captain's challenge is definitely something that's been in the, you know, it's been in people's mouths and people's minds for a long time now. Yep. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, Paul Gallen was really animated about how the referee's decisions shouldn't be all completely left up to a higher power deciding whether they're right or wrong. Mm-hmm. He thinks, like, similar to cricket, there should be a challenge system, system where the captain... Yeah, a review system where they get, like, one challenge per match if they think something is very 
if, if they think a call is very wrong and they, they've had a rough go, they can ask the ref to review it. Yep. I think that's thing, a brilliant I, idea. One thing I agree with definitely is, is that, but also the fact that if they are successful with their challenge, they, they keep the challenge and they're allowed to do another one. If that makes sense. It's yeah, in, just like in cricket. It's just like in cricket. You know, if they lose, they lose it. But if they get it, it stays there and they can obviously they have another one sort of thing, which I think is a great initiative. Um, and and it's it, a great, yeah, it's a great system because then it gives the incentive to only challenge if you truly believe the call is wrong. Exactly. And, and the not just challenge rule. for the sake of it. And the 2040 rule, I fucking love the idea because obviously, let's be honest, it's a reverse 40-20. Um, there, it is very, it's got very mixed opinions about it. Um, I personally love it, uh, just from a league side of things, because it gives a team a chance to, you know, say they're three tackles down or four tackles down inside their own 20, not getting anywhere. Even though, you know, um, you know, worst case scenario, if they don't manage to get the 20-40, they've kicked the footy all the way down to their 30-meter line or the other, te- the other team's 30 line or the other team's, you know, um, or halfway, you know, that still gets them out of trouble and puts the other team on the attack, but down their end of the field, you know. Um, I see fans, you know, being, yeah, well, we got a 20-40, but also, let's be honest, there'll be teams that'll be like, nah, fuck the 20-40 rule when it doesn't go their way for their team. But again, that's just like that's just like 40-20s. Um, I think it's a great initiative. However, it will take a lot to perfect the 20-40 kick because you maybe see 40-20s, you know, a handful of times in a season. Um, mm. So again, I think the 2040 is going to be something to watch. Um, it will happen next season. I think we'll see maybe three or four go, go for it. Um, however, though, I um, I do agree that I mean sometimes even if it's say the teams just kick down the other end of the field, you know, because they just finished their set of six. You grab the ball, first kick, you know, first tackle taken on the 10 meter line. Then second tackle, the team's like, nah, fuck it, let's go for a 20-40. And they get it, you know, fuck yeah, that's primo position. You know, um, mm. I, I agree with this idea tenfold, and I think it's going to do, no, I think it's going to make it more competitive and bring back somewhat of the competitive edge that the game is lacking at the moment. What are your thoughts, mate? Yeah, well, it's going to be a very polarizing rule. I, I see a lot of discussion about it already with people either being really for it or really against it. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm kind of like, it's an interesting concept, but I'll have to see it properly in action next year before I really make a call on how effective and how well, how beneficial it is for the game. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it is a good concept. I mean, the, the, the arguments against it would be like, oh, this team is really crap at... Uh, attacking they've been punished by being kept in their own 20 because of how um how strong the defensive team is and like they could have done a grubber kick into the in goal and they've just made it out or something like that yeah and i've seen people saying stuff like oh they shouldn't be given if they're stuffed up like that and they've kept down that end of the field they shouldn't have the opportunity to get out of jail i think they're kicking it from the 20 to 40 I mean, but i reckon that's I, good I, it gives, i think it's good it gives the team initiative it gives the team hope that in, yeah. the, in the dying minutes of the, the game, if they're down by six points or, you know, four points and that means the difference between, you know, a potential try or not, fucking go for it, you know? Yeah, it means the game's really always in the balance. It gives the playmakers another uh, opportunity to come up with something that can help their team get out of trouble. Um, yep. It's definitely going to put the halves' uh, kicking abilities in the league it re- really into the spotlight more so than the 40-20 already does because oh, that's so, another... Yeah. Um, that, that's another skill that the halves will have to learn. And also, the, and, um, I, I just in general, the kicking team, and I also think the backs are going to have to learn how to prepare for a 2040 unexpected. You know, I think the yeah, fullback absolutely. is going to have to 
I think a fullback in the defense is going to have to stay back a bit more than usual, you know, because usually they float around somewhat behind the pack, but they're going to have to float much further back, in you know, just in case. Because um, mm. sometimes when a twenty forty could happen, you know, they could end up being able to jump in the air and knock it into the field if it's on the full sort of thing, you know. Um, yeah, I reckon um, it's quite. Um, I reckon it's quite rugby union esque the way is. they have that mark rule in rugby union where if you catch the ball on the full behind the twenty two line, you get a free kick and you yeah. get to kick it anywhere upfield. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite similar to that. How um, as long as you're behind that line and you have the footy, you get the chance to advantage your team by getting some extra meters. Like yep. even if you don't get the twenty forty, the ball is down the other end of the field now. So regardless, you still have kind of the upper hand because the other team is in their half now and they have to try and get up the other end of the field and you're kind of on top. So it really is a rule that can really change the flow of games. It really gives teams an opportunity to really make something happen throughout the whole game, like especially in those games where they are only a couple of points behind and they're deep in their half. Like this is an opportunity for them to really pull a rabbit out of a hat and come up with something. And I can really see a lot of exciting finishes being um, created out of this 2040 rule. Wire. And speaking very yeah, down to the wire, um, obviously the golden point rule was overlooked for re-evaluation this year. Let, we're not going to go into that because that's definitely the hottest topic in the rule changes. Uh, we'll, we'll go to that if or when the NRL announces a change to that. Um, next next topic mm. of uh, also one rule change I would like to see is the ten meter rule being changed to the five being changed back to five meters because it'll make for a lot more competitive game. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Mm. Well, I mean, if that happens, yeah, it'll be like uh, a throwback to the 80s and 70s where there was a lot more emphasis on defense. Yep. It'll be There'll be a lot more pressure on the attacking team, definitely, because they'll have a lot less room to work with in terms of charging the ball up or moving the ball throughout the back line. That would be pretty interesting, but uh, at the moment, because of how free and open the game is nowadays, I don't mind the 10-meter rule staying in place, but I, I agree it would be kind of interesting to see what would happen in today's kind of climate in the NRL if the five meter rule was reintroduced? Like, yeah, yeah that'd be interesting. What if um, scenario right there? Yeah, exactly. Um, and touching on the NRL judiciary and NRLW judiciary of this year, obviously we saw a lot of shocking things such as eye gouges, um, you know, head high mm. tackles, this, that, the other. How do you think the NRL handled the judiciary system of that sort of stuff? And how do you think the NRLW? handled their first um, suspension this year of um, a player for a reckless high tackle? Well, definitely the biggest talking point in the in terms of how differently the NRL judiciary handles certain situations would be definitely the comparison between Josh Maguire and George Burgess when it comes to yes. eye gouging. Because yes. uh, Josh Maguire, um, I think he had two or three charges with offender. eye gouging. He's a serial offender. He's been doing it, like, I don't want to quote a disgruntled fan here, but he's been doing it for years, ref. He he gets in trouble for it all the time. He has been. And, um, I mean, the fact that he's a repeat offender, it's not his first time, and they only gave him a fine. Hmm. Like, that's uh, that's just a really stupid call from the NRL. And definitely a slap on the wrist, and I'm not sure if it's because he's a star of the game. He's, he's obviously not, that's a the thing. In Queensland. my opinion, in my opinion, he's not a star of the game. Like he's at best mm. mediocre. 
You know, he comes in on the field maybe for 20, 30 minutes max for the game, sort of thing, which is fine. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rubbing on the amount of time he spends on the field, but that time is spent so unproductively. He gives away more penalties, does more eye gouges and shit than he does be a productive member of his team when he's on the field. Yes, I'm calling you out, Josh McGuire. Um, if, <laughs> if anyone wants to this tag him, if anyone wants to tag him in this episode, so then he can get known or noticed or notice the episode, so I can have him on for an interview to talk about it. I'd love to, um, because I'd love to... In before we see a CJ Vincent versus Josh Maguire boxing match (laughs) this time next year. Because because I'd love to get... um, uh, This is a a genuine personal message to Josh. I would love to have you on as a guest, so then I can try and get you to clear your name. I will not negatively gear the episode towards you, Josh. I can 100% stand by that. I would just love to hear your side of things um, regarding the eye gouges and the the playing and your career, etc. Because personally... I do not agree with anything that you do on the field, and I would love to hear it from you know the man behind the game, the man behind the stories, etc. Just to get a you know you could say a, a fresh perspective from the actual person at hand. We witnessed the first suspension of an NRLW player this year, um, and I honestly couldn't agree more with it being a, th- a three-game ban. I mean, possibly could have been two, but. She went in with a reckless high tackle, and you can definitely see the malice if you watch the video replay. And you can't be promoting that if she were to have, um, if she were to have gotten off from that, um, you know, from the judiciary, it would uh, honestly, I don't see any reason why she should have. In all honesty, yeah, because definitely. You're, you're promoting yeah. it to young kids, the game, and if a young girl sees that, she'll think, "Oh, I can do it, and I and I won't get in trouble." Wrong. You need to get in trouble for that. Mm. Especially if, like, because, you know, in lower, in, like, really young grades, it's all mixed comps where girls integrate with boys mm-hmm. in uh, junior rugby league. And, like, imagine if, you know, a, a guy seeing that decides, oh, okay, girls do that to each other. They're tougher than I thought. And I'm he decides to go out there girl. and... Yeah, what if he does, what if he collars a girl like that and does some damage? So, yeah, it's good that the WNRL have really stamped down on uh, tackles like that because it was a pretty horrific tackle. It was high. There was a grapple around the neck. She twisted her head into an unnatural position. It could have done a lot of damage to her neck. And so I I believe, yes, a ban was definitely warranted. Uh, Some might argue that three games is a bit harsh considering the length of the competition, which was only four games, including the grand final. But um, if you're going to behave like that on the field, then yeah, you got to you got to sit down for a while and think about how you how you're playing. And speaking That's of Josh sure. McGuire, I think he'll agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And speaking of the judiciary, uh, we saw Nick Kotrick get sent off, first send off in a mm. long time. There's been sin bins, but Nick Kotrick being sent off. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, um, yeah, he became the first player sent off since Curtis Scott last year for yep. basically beating Dylan Walker to a pulp. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and before that, it was a three-year drought between send-offs. Um, when in the last round of 2015, Dave Shillington for the Raiders got sent off for headbutting Aaron Woods. But yeah, Honestly, it was a, a headbutt hor- is a is a straight up send-off. Yeah, yeah, like that's really going back to the primitive days of uh, rugby league headbutting in every scrum, in every tackle, like to prove your dominance. But yeah, it was just a, it was a blatant one too because it happened in a scrum and he kept doing it. And Aaron Woods was just putting his hands up like, "Sir, are you seeing this?" Yeah. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> yeah, the Nick Kotrick one, obviously, it was a horrific tackle that he that he made. 
and um, the bloke landed right on his head. I forget who he tackled. Oh, like I haven't seen the footage since it happened. I don't happened. think he deserved a send-off. I think he deserved 10 in the bin mm. and then a six-week suspension. Is what Definitely on report. Um, it might have been a slight overreaction, but the that was literally around after um, NRL told all the refs to really stamp out foul play. Yep. I remember there was a point in the middle of the season where the whole Josh Maguire debacle thing happened, yeah, and off. that's when Greenberg kicked off the whole. Um, okay, you guys really have to clamp down on foul play. If a guy, if a player does something wrong, don't be afraid to send them off. Yeah. And literally, I think it was the next round that Kotrick made that horrific tackle, and I'm, yeah. I mean, it was a terrible, dangerous tackle. It was hundred percent dangerous yeah. to all involved, but I don't think he should have been sent off. I reckon ten in the bin, on report, and six week ban minimum. Yeah. And I mean, it was only a couple of minutes to go in the match anyway. So even if he got Sinbin, that was that would be basically a send off. Exactly. Because you know he would have been out for the rest I, of I the mean, game. I mean, I reckon maybe if it was in the first opening ten minutes of the game, a send off is warranted. But if it's in the last mm. twenty minutes of the game, I reckon a Sinbin, and obviously on report, etc. Um, yeah, definitely. Because that's damaging the team anyway. You know. Yeah, and um, I might have. Yeah, it was definitely a slight overreaction, I would say, to send him off. But I would say, in getting into the referee's head, he was obviously under pressure. This was probably the first, you know, major foul play incident since Greenberg stepped down. He would have had a backlash of first of all Greenberg talking him, talking the ref the week before, and then obviously Mm. that happening. And I reckon he would have had backlash if he hadn't sent the player off because the other team's fans would have straight up thrown a fucking riot. Yeah, so um, he decided to pull the trigger on poor old Nick, and yeah, he was out. He was out for the game, and I think he got suspended <laughs> for a couple of weeks as well. Yes, he did. Um, and Thank I remember you know. the the backlash was mostly coming from Raiders fans saying it was a bit too harsh uh, to send him off, and there was a few other um, pundits and journalists saying, "Oh, the send off we said was dead, but we didn't want it to be." brought back in this circumstance and stuff like that <laughs> yeah but um yeah I, I reckon yeah judging by the circumstances of how greenberg was like okay guys we really want to rub out foul play don't be afraid to send players off if they do something wrong i reckon the decision the ref made was warranted in that situation yes like agreed. if it was in a in, if it was in a situation where oh yeah it's just a regular time of season that obviously would have been just on report maybe a sin bin but um yeah judging by how you know the situation where Greenberg was like, okay, you really got to put your foot down for stuff like this. Yeah, I reckon I would have, if I was in the ref's shoes, I would have definitely sent him off as well. I would have done the same as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, and speaking of send-offs and sin binnings, Cameron Smith received the, yeah. I think his first sin binning for a while. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think it shows to the game that no matter how many games you play, because he made his miraculous 400 this year, I think that Mm. no matter how star-studded, and I reckon definitely a future immortal, no matter how long it takes him to become a immortal, he will become an immortal. No matter how good you are, no matter how many refs you pay, you can be be sending, and you will be sending. Yeah, well, um, love him or hate him, you've got to admit... Uh, referee Smith is one of the mm-hmm. most influential figures in the NRL. I think and he'll be the was... one that's going to do the captain's call next year the most. In all honesty. Absolutely. You know what? I, I'm, I'm willing to put money on it. If sports I'm willing to, I'm willing to on put wi- a bet on that he is the first captain to do, to do the captain's call, and it will be in round one. Yes. Yeah, I reckon round one, within the first ten minutes, yep. um, Cameron Smith will be out there making the captain's challenge. And you know what? He, Knowing him, he'll probably be right. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone would be like, ah, oh, like, fucking ref Smith, how much has he paid the actual ref? Fucking refs and all that jazz. But, um, yeah, like, despite his influence, despite his experience, uh, Cameron Smith, it was one of the mo- most iconic moments of 2018 when he got sinbin against the Sharks for back, ch- back chat. No, no, it was last year. I oh. remember because it was in Shark Park and um, it was right. in the pouring rain. And uh, Matt Checken sent him for 10 for back chat. Yep. And then this year, um, and it was the first time in his career he'd been given 10 minutes, that's what I, which that's was what crazy. I think was great because he'd gone so long without being binned. And then so it genuinely mm. proved you, you don't, you're that, not exempt from being sin binned no matter how yep. good or how star-studded or how many rep games you've played or how literal immortal you will be. You are not, yeah. you are not immortal to being sin binned. If you do something wrong, you do something wrong. And then, exactly. of course, this year, it was in a finals match, he got Sinbin. That's what I mean, he did um, get Sinbin this year, is what I was saying. Yeah, he did, yeah. But um, I, I was just kind of segueing through last yep. year for the first yep, yep. time he got Sinbin. Yep. And then it happened, like, lightning struck twice. It was an incident in the semi-final against Parramatta where yes. uh, um, Reed Marnie tackled him late after he put a kick through. Yep. And Smith obviously took exception to it. Reed, I mean, he wouldn't let go of Smith. He wouldn't let him get up and run back with the defensive line. And Smith, uh, I mean, it was Reed's a bit of an overreaction. That anyway. Yeah, I mean, Reed, Reed Marnie was probably the instigator for just holding Smith back and not letting him uh, go and join his teammates in the defensive line. But Smith's reaction of... First of all, slapping his hand away. I mean, sure, that's that's all right. Yep. Like, get that's rid of him. That's an get off me, let, let me go, yeah. Yep. Yeah. But then s- slapping him in the head, like, a slap nowadays is an automatic sin bin. Yep. And Smith should know that. And, I mean, yeah, slapping his arm away, sure, that's fine. Like, he'll probably let go. But then yep. having a second slap across the head, like, that's, yeah, that's a sin bin. And that's a fair call the ref made. Yep. I, I remember, I, I'm pretty sure... The bunker intervened and told the ref, hang on, we're going to check this out. Smith's yeah. sparked something in back play here. And mm-hmm. yeah, they were right. He slapped him in the head. That's a fair sin. And yeah, referee Smith, he got given his marching orders for 10 minutes in that game. Yeah. Didn't make much difference to the result. I mean, Melbourne smashed Parramatta. And um, but it was still good to uh, like prove once again that nobody in this game is untouchable and that even the most, inf- probably the most influential player in the league can get given his marching orders. <laughs> exactly. And <I laughs> Which is great to great. see. And now let's take a little look back on the decade that was 2010 to 2019. Um, first of all, there was a lot of um, blood, sweat and tears in this decade. We saw a decade of dominance by the Roosters and the Storm. Um, the mm. Roosters making and winning three grand finals. They made more than three, but they won three. The Storm making just as many, but honestly, I think they only won like one. Uh, um, two. Two, yeah. Um, then we also yeah. had Manly in this decade win a grand final. We also saw teams win grand finals that have A, never won before, and B, haven't won for a long time. That includes the Sharks, mm, the Rados, the Cowboys. Um, a, a, lot of, a lot of turning points in this decade. So what would be... First of all, your top five games of the decade. They Ooh. can be finals, they can be state of origins, they can be regular home and away games. What what are your what would be your top five? And also oh. if you if you the listeners agree with any of our top fives or what would your top five be, let us know in the comments. Yeah, well um first thing that springs to mind of course, um 
is a more recent one um, when Tonga finally beat Australia in New Zealand. That was a massive moment that in uh, Tongan Rugby League, uh, considering they had, you know, they were the outsiders, they were the underdogs, and they just gritted in hard and beat the number one team in the world, Australia, yes. um, which is just incredible. So that would definitely be up there. Also, another one that comes to mind going to the other end of the decade would definitely be probably the greatest finals match of all time between the Roosters and the Tigers in 2010, Mm -hmm. uh, which was decided by a golden point intercept try by Sean Kenny Dowell, which also makes, um, I'm no spoilers, but uh, it it also makes my top five tries of the decade, that one, the Kenny Dowell intercept try to decide that finals match and like kind of catapult Roosters into the grand final that year. I mean, they didn't win the premiership, but they made it to the grand final. And I'd like to say the catalyst for their campaign was definitely that game against the Tigers, which they looked down and out and, they came back and they had the Brayton Nasta field goal in the last minute to send it through the golden point. Yep. And then the intercept try by Sean Kenny Dow. Another iconic game that comes to mind is a state of origin game mm-hmm. two to the 20 game two, 2014, mm-hmm. which is the blues. They, they uh, captured their first state of origin series since 2005. Yes. Queensland had won the eight series in a row, which is incredible. Like, that's insane, unheard of. Imagine winning eight years in a row. And then the um, Blues had to wait another four years until they won it again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, uh, I mean, some say it was a fluke, but I say just it was the year where Laurie and the team just wanted it so badly. I myself they dug their heels in. Because I was born in Queensland. But even I, that year before the State of Origin series even kicked off, <laughs> said the Blues are going to win this year, straight up. Mm. You know, the, the team that they were that they announced for that year's, you know, the squad, when they usually announce their thoughts on the squad for the, the year coming up, <coughs> I was mm. like, nah. You know, I was like, yeah. uh, players are getting to the back end of their careers, you know, such as Hodges, um, Thurstow, all that, you know, and I'm just like, nah, there won't be enough left in the tank. Obviously there was, because it proved four years for four years after that we, they won as well. But that year, I was just like, nah, the Blues are going to win it. And they did. Yeah, well, they had the the, the inspirational leader, uh, Paul Gallen, who bleeds blue, has done his whole, whole career. Yep. They had a brilliant young halves combination from the resurgent Bulldogs, Josh Reynolds and Trent Hodkinson. They had the Morris twins, who have always been very passionate uh, State of Origin players for the Blues. Yep. They had Jared Hayne, who, who was in the form of his career. I mean, he won the Dally M that year. That was probably his apart from 2009, his best season in the NRL. 100%. They had speedsters like Michael Jennings. and um, You could uh, say I don't know it if Blake was remnant of the Queensland 2006 win, in all honesty. Literally, yeah, because they had the young team back then who were yeah. outsiders after New South Wales won three series in a row. And, and I, just think, um, I just think... Thanks to their inspirational leader, they, they won it. Thanks to, um, well, literally a last minute well, with only a few minutes to go Lockyer scored that iconic try and Trent Hodkinson scored that try with only a few minutes to go to give the Blues the win so exactly. yeah very similar exactly and congratulations to the Blues um, and what would be the next game that you reckon would be iconic for you I'm going to guess oh, the 2011 well this... Manly Grand Final Okay, yeah, that's literally what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say it's more iconic for, from like my own personal perspective mm-hmm. Because, um, yeah, as a Manly fan growing up, uh, uh, have been my whole life, 
Uh, definitely that game was one of the... But we against you. <laughs> yeah, we won't. We're, I mean, Manly hates you too, so that's fine. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> um, I love that sign. It goes to every game. Guess what? Manly hates you too. Yep. Um, well, yeah, I'll take Manly any day, asbestos and all. Um, <laughs> yep. But, uh, yeah, that day was brilliant. Like, I talked about it on the live stream a few weeks ago, how we we it was, we was didn't get the tickets to the game, but um, we had a nice little family gather. We busted out the footy franks. We had the barbecues and jats, and um, had a, we made a nice evening of it with the family who were, who were visiting at the time as well. We had my uncles and my pop who lived just around the corner, basically. And we all watched it, like some of the family, because all my family are South supporters. They were they kind then of egging would have been on. Ju- jubilant a few years later in the 2014 Grand Final. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? I, I'll get into that in just a second, because I would say that's, apart from the 2015 Grand Final, that was probably one of the iconic moments of the middle of the decade. But yeah, the 2011 Grand Final from a personal perspective, because uh, in the 2008 Grand Final, we were actually camping that weekend. Aww. And we didn't really get the luxurious experience of watching it. We just had a tiny little buzz box telly to watch <laughs> nice. it on. And, and it was literally all static and it was mostly like black and white and mono monochrome the whole game and we could barely tell what was going on. Jeez. But uh, you can tell you were winning we, though. We could definitely tell we were winning. And I remember one of the very few times it actually went into a clear picture was when Beaver scored. Ah, oh, that's the way I remember. Go. Yeah. I remember me and Dad were like, oh, hell yeah. And a couple of our campmates were actually going for the storm and <laughs> oh, we, we really rubbed it into them. And I remember, because it happened in school holidays, the first day back at school, I went up to one of my classmates who was a very vocal Melbourne Storm, Cameron Smith, Billy Slater <laughs> fan. And I remember walking into class and going, Manly won 40 nil. <laughs> like uh, that whole sing songy kind of chant. Yep. But, um, you see, I- I'm less subtle. Yeah. I would just go up to him and go, So, uh, how'd Melbourne go in the grand final? <laughs> yeah. That's what I'd probably do nowadays. But I was mm-hmm. like nine years old when yep. the 2008 grand final was played. So I definitely went the, definitely went the childish route of really rubbing it in with that sing songy kind, yeah, nah. kind of chant. Yeah. And what would be your uh, but, fifth game to finish off the decade? Well, for me, this is probably, from a rugby league fan in general, this is probably a no-brainer for me, the 2015 Grand Final yep. between the Cowboys and the Broncos. Yep. That Sound was... Point, but yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. However, in my oh, opinion, I couldn't... it's not a sour point. On the night... I remember it very avidly. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll talk. Oh. I'll talk real quick. Sorry about it. And then, then yeah, you no worries. Because it. it is definitely in my top five. And honestly, it's the number one memorable moment of of the decade, um, from a Broncos fan point and a non Broncos fan point. Because everyone wanted to see the Broncos lose if you weren't a Broncos fan, and everyone wanted to see the Broncos win if you were. Um, yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, first of all, the the game. You know, the the second time only. Well, only the, the second only time that two non-New South Wales teams were in a grand final, and it was the Broncos in it again because they were in the first ever non-Queensland, non-New South Wales team grand final. Oh yeah, against 06. The Storm in 06. Um, yeah. So the Broncos had the better record, of, you know, etc. So Cowboys going in. Yeah, one hundred percent win. You know, well they had a hundred percent win right up until that point. Um, well, we yeah. had the hundred percent win until Ben Hunt. Long story short, um, it was a great game. I remember exactly where I was on that night. I was at my local, the Central Coast Leagues Club, represent. 
I was watching it on the big screen nice. on, on the projector screen with me, mate. We were downing tequila shots, beers, food, you know, <laughs> you name it. We were off chops. It was a great night. Um, obviously a little bit sour that the Broncos lost, but in all honesty, I've seen worse grand finals. Example, Melbourne losing 40 nil. I would much rather lose by <laughs> one. I would much rather my team lose by one point than by 40 points in a grand final. Um, because it shows yeah, that it shows that genuinely it was a close game, which it was right down to the wire. Um, and also, fun fact: the mate that I was at uh, with at, uh, on that grand final night actually won a bet on that grand final night because he put a bet on for the Cowboys to win in extra time. Wow! Yeah. And no grand final had ever gone the golden point before then. Exactly, and and he put the he put that bet on and won. So shout out to you, Chris, if you're listening, bro. Um, Oh, he was amazing. Jubilant. That's a ballsy bet. <laughs> oh, it was, but he did it. And honestly, I can't agree with him more. It was, it, it was. if anything, if there was going to be any grand final in history to go to Golden Point, it would be that one because both teams would want it badly. Mm. Cowboys wanting to get their first grand final win after losing in 05 and um, the Broncos wanting to win because they hadn't won for quite a while, uh, nine years at that point. Um and, you know, both teams wanting, just wanting it so badly. And you could tell because otherwise it wouldn't have gone to Golden Point. And from a Broncos fan point, obviously disappointed, but not but not d- destroyed either because it was it was by one point. It wasn't by 40 points sort of thing. Um, mm. But from an NRL fan... It's kind of like a good effort. We exactly, came so close exactly, rather than an, like, oh, we were so shit. Exactly. But from an NRL fan's standpoint, it was fucking electric. You know, I, mm. even even though the Broncos lost, I would have given anything to be at that game. Mm. And it would have been an insane atmosphere. Oh, it was. And what about your thoughts, mate, on that on that game? Well, yeah, it was pretty similar to the 2011 Grand Final. The way we watched it, um, we just had <laughs> it on it as a family. We were like, oh, two Queensland teams, but we were kind of rooting for the Cowboys because like Everyone they hadn't was. won one before. Exactly. Yeah, I think... Even I was a little bit, you know, up until Golden Point, I was like, I, I hope the Cowboys mm. win. Obviously, I want the Broncos to win, but I was hoping the Cowboys would get the win. Unfortunately, they did. But yeah, anyway. Continue. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of a, like an interesting period there where we had three fairy tale grand finals in a row. We did, and honestly, where, I was the... going to claim rigged if in 2017 there was a team that was going to win it that hadn't won it before. Um, yeah, literally, and, like, and like the Rabbitohs in... winning in, in 2014 after 43 years, then the, Cowboys, the Sharks winning then in the 2016, Sharks. Yep. yeah, and the the Cowboys winning their first one, like, and it was the insane. At the same time as well, you know, the Western Bulldogs Western winning Bulldogs, their first yeah. grand final in some 70-something years, back when they were Footscray, and Richmond winning their first one for a long fucking time, it was, it was a decade of fairy mm. tales is what you could say. It was, oh, it was a decade was... of droughts being broken as well, definitely. In the West Coast Eagles as well in the AFL. Oh, uh, no. They, yes, but they'd already won in 2006. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, they beat the Swans, of course. Yes, they lost to the Swans in five, but went back in 2006 and won it. Um, so not necessarily. Yeah. However, they had, you know, had their trials and tribulations, you know, made the wooden spoon a few times, etc. Mm. Um, but, yeah, again, that grand final win was against the team that I follow. Hawthorne? Collingwood. Collingwood. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Anyway, and it was in the last minutes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the goal that won it. Oh, I was on but, the um, edge of my um, seat. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah, but um, yeah, the 2015 grand final. It was insane. We watched it as a family. We were all su- supporting the Cowboys, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, we were like, um, we were like, oh, Broncos have got this. They're just looking too good. And then Mum was like, Hang on, I haven't sung yet. 
because <laughs> like it's always over when it's never over sings. until the fat lady sings yep yeah and um well well as as yeah no, i was would just say it's not over till the bbw sings yeah sorry until the until the um what, what's that fucking it's not over until the plus size lady sings sorry. plus size yeah, yeah exactly sorry. the plus Continue. size non-binary gender <laughs> yep. sings but um <laughs> But, um, yeah, it was incredible. I remember we were, like, jumping and screaming around the room when Kyle Felt touched down in the corner. We thought, because Jonathan Thurston, he had probably one of the most iconic seasons um, in the modern era that year. And uh, we thought, oh, is he going to get this fairy tale kick to win it? Like, from the sideline. And he hit the freaking post. And we were like, oh, this is a a horror movie. This is fucked. I could feel the pressure on both teams at that point. Honestly, I couldn't even imagine lie, when that what goal the heart palpitations being, would have been. When that goal was being kicked, the, the Leagues Club was silent. Oh, I wow. mean, absolutely silent. Like, as in the build-up team, you know, lining up for the kick and getting ready for the and then going for the kick, it was literal. You could hear a pin drop in the Leagues wow. Club. Wow. It was all eyes were fixed on this fucking moment. So, Far out. Yeah. It was the kick that stopped the nation. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Um, yeah, because we were the same. We were like, oh, my God, it was coming back. It was coming back, and he missed it. and hit the post, and we couldn't believe it. Like, I, would, I, can't, I can't imagine all the heart palpitations Broncos and Cowboys fans around the country would have had at that moment. Oh. And then it was just so unfortunate from the kickoff in Golden Point that yep. um, Ben Hunt dropped his lollies, and the rest is history. Yes, yes. Now, what I find interesting is I've had actually had the privilege to talk to a player who has played in both – the Broncos' last winning grand final and the Cowboys' first winning grand final, Ben Hannant. Um, oh. He played in the Cowboys' 2015 grand final against the Broncos and in the 2006 grand final win with the Broncos. And he said the, mm. the most memorable one was, um, first of all, the Cowboys won, mainly because A, they'd worked so hard, B, it was the first t- time the Cowboys had won the grand final, and C, because it's the most freshest memory. Um but mm. also he didn't he he gave credit to the Broncos 06 grand final cuz he was just a young kid at that time literally in his first year i think or second year of NRL and he was just he was just happy to be there amongst the greats on that day um but mm. the 2015 grand final is closer to his heart purely because you know he was an experienced NRL veteran at that point you could say you know close to retiring himself and you know his memorable mm. moment was that flick pass to Kyle Felt because he said that Michael Morgan that mm. pass was off his non-natural side of his body and and not his natural side of passing as well so mm. and he had to, to kind happen- of twist himself exactly. around and the so Broncos for, defenders and so for that to happen you know was literally it was from then on from that try onwards that they realized yeah we've got this one because you know they realize if that can happen anything can happen and honestly shout out to you benny hannett thank you for joining me at legends of league um yeah it was it was amazing to hear it from a bloke who was in the game you know mm. oh, that's for sure and and one of my um one of the one of my classmates at afters when i did the voiceover course he yep. is a diehard cowboys fan nice. and he still has the team photo of them holding the trophy on on the background of his phone yep. he says um it's it's still the greatest day of his life that nice. grand final yeah nice um touching on so my top 5 games i won't really go into them cuz they're very similar to yours 2014 rabbitohs grand final 2015 Cowboys mm. win. Obviously, 2016 Sharks. Um, 
and then also touching on um <sighs> sorry brain finding hard the manly grand final win in 2011 minor mainly grand finals in all honesty and this year That's fair. Um, would be undeniably because not not in the sense of it being Roosters Raiders, but it being the first back-to-back grand final win since the Broncos ninety-two, ninety-three, and ninety-seven, ninety-eight grand final wins. It's it's very rarely done nowadays, and I don't think you'll see a three-peat happen next year. Um, just because the way the mm. game goes, you can Roosters fans, you can put all you want in the comments in this message in this post. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry, but it will not happen. <laughs> Um, you know, it would be funny if they actually went on to win it and we kind of throw back to this podcast. Oh, I will. I will now. 100% throw back to this podcast if I'm wrong, but I can promise you I'm not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they may make the finals. I doubt they'll even make the finals next year. That's how, that's the ball. That's how ballsy I'm going. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Well, Roosters, they've always been like very unpredictable. Like, you never can tell until really a few rounds away from the end of the season where they're going to finish. Like, I remember a few years ago, I think it was 2011, actually, they were touted as one of the competition favourites because they had just been in the grand final going into 2011. They were like, okay, they're going to bounce back. They're going to go all the way this year. And then then they ended up being Wooden Spoon. (laughs) Yeah, Manly won, and the Roosters won the Wooden Spoon that year. Yes. It just goes Which to is show. insane. Now, um, <laughs> yeah. Ango, we're not going to do the top five tries because obviously at the end of this episode when I'm done editing, it'll be about an hour and a half long anyway. So what I'm going to do shit. is I'm going to do a quick click and I'm going to put the questions to the fans to type their top five tries in the comments. So um, so thank you for joining me, Ango. Everyone, be sure to catch Angus live on Coast FM 90, 93.5. Uh, oh, 96.3. Sorry, sorry, 96.3 Coast FM. Go to the Coast FM website. It'll be available. His is Up Late with Ango. He plays the hottest tracks and whatnot from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. every second Friday. Tonight included, which is Friday. Be sure to tune in. I'll be tuning in because he's a fucking ripper of a um, radio host. And everyone, oh. be sure to put in your top five tries of the decade, 2010 to 2019, in the comments. Don't be afraid also to let us know what you think of the rule changes that we mentioned and your thoughts on our expansion ideas and the lack thereof because expansion is bad for the NRL. Thank you, everyone, mm. for listening, and we hope you enjoy your off-season. Bring on 2020 season. Bye,